Donald Trump delivers on a campaign promise. Hundreds of carrier workers will keep their jobs. The ISTEP panel delivers its recommendations, but will the test actually change? That plus tolls on Indiana's interstates, a South Bend casino, and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending December 2nd, 2016. Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, the Trump-Pence team reached a deal with Carrier that will keep in Indiana some of the jobs the company planned to ship to Mexico. President-elect Trump and Governor Mike Pence were in Indiana to announce a deal with Carrier and its parent company, United Technologies, to keep 800 jobs at its Indianapolis plant that were slated to go to Mexico. Since the 1950s, Carrier has been a part of Indiana's manufacturing success story, and we've been proud of it. As governor, I couldn't be more pleased and grateful that thanks to the initiative and the leadership of President-elect Donald Trump, a carrier, has decided to stay and grow right here in America. In exchange, the state will pay $7 million over 10 years in tax Thank incentives. You. You, also behind Carrier's decision to Thank keep some jobs much. in state is concern that United Technologies you, could lose much. some of its I billions of dollars in federal contracts. President-elect Trump says the Carrier move won't be an isolated case. Companies are not going to leave the United States anymore without consequences. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Tell you right now. How much credit do Donald Trump and Mike Pence deserve here? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike O'Brien, John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting State House reporter Brandon Smith. Ann Delaney, are kudos due to the Trump-Pence team? Oh, I think so. I think for the 800 employees that will still have jobs, I'm sure they're extremely grateful that this worked out. Uh, I think the 1,100 that are losing them um, are not as happy. And, of course, you know, uh, Rex Nord's leaving and there's another company leaving. I, you know, obviously the one... The one change in this is the threat on the federal contracts, it seems to me. And, and I, I frankly am fine with that. But in order for that to have, uh, to be able to be done in the future when President-elect Trump is President Trump, it's going to require legislation. Congress is going to have to say that the federal procurement low bid uh, requirement isn't necessarily there. And if you're exporting jobs, you're not eligible to bid on federal contracts. And I'm fine with that. I think we ought to do that. Why should we be subsidizing these companies when they're moving jobs abroad? But it's going to take legislation from Congress to do it. Michael Bryan, does this set a bad precedent that, that essentially if you're a company, you can threaten to leave and you'll get $7 million in state incentives? I don't think that's going to be the scenario going forward. And I think you have to look at the reason that Carrier was planning to leave uh, to begin with. It was because of the actions of the federal government over the last eight years, policies that have been, that have been passed, regulations that have been passed that make it impossible to do business here. So while they're, while they're changing <laughs> procurement laws, and they can change the EPA laws and they can change the, yeah, the yeah, punitive yeah. Um, job killing regulations laws? that they passed the over the last eight years. make it easier for them to move jobs abroad? You're going to change those too? We're going to change a lot of things. I well, think, I I think hope the grown-ups are in charge again. Because that's a Republican initiative, so I hope you do change it. That'd be great. 
Well, you, you, if it was really the federal regulations, which, which Carrier has said, which United Technologies has said, why the need for any state incentives? Well, I think, you're, I think in some of these cases, you're going to have to build a bridge for some of these companies that already made a decision, right? I mean, there's going to be a lag time between right now where President Trump, President-elect Trump has not even taken office and the time where he can get into the federal government and make some of these changes and unwind some of these things that are killing jobs in this country. John, Donald Trump said uh, the companies aren't going to be leaving anymore without consequences. Do you think that the, he's, he's proving his point no, already? The wall better go up sooner than later if that's uh, going to be the case, and not keeping people in, not just keeping people out. You know, politically, this is a home run, no matter how you slice it. And that's why I think we saw both uh, Mike Pence and Donald Trump making sort of this uh, almost a victory lap of sorts and delivering on this, this, this campaign promise. And the reason I say it's a political home run is Yes, there are questions about the more than 1,000 employees who still will lose their jobs. Yes, there are questions about the wisdom of, of offering $7 million in state incentives. But none of that is going to be remembered. What's remembered, especially beyond the borders of the state of Indiana, is that Donald Trump, he said he was going to take it to Carrier. And look, he's not even put his hand on the Bible and taken the oath yet. He's already delivered. So that's the – but the policy question – is a lot more nuanced and a lot more complicated. And Lawrence Summers, former uh, Treasury Secretary, sounded a warning saying this is, if this is going to be the practice, that is that the chief executive of our country calls up and sort of negotiates these one-offs or, or through bluster and, and potential bullying, then we're no better than the banana republics. I, I don't and think so, he can do that when he's well, president. And that's why, if and in fact... Said, and Donald right. Trump has and said that himself. And that's why, if it's... If it's you know, codified in the manner you describe, right. I think it makes it a lot better. Yeah, but I, I think politically home run, jury's still out on, on, the, on the policy issues here. Politically home run, but more than half of the jobs that Carrier was threatening to cut from Indiana are, are getting going. shipped to Mexico. Right. So is it really a win for Indiana? Well, it is in a sense that you do have jobs that you weren't going to have, but it's a half glass, glass half full scenario. It's not a complete win in that regard because there are a lot of people at that plant who still will be without jobs when they're phased out over time. Um, I think that it's important to realize that it's pretty unusual to grant incentives to a company to retain jobs. Uh, it's happened in Indiana five times since 2009, and actually some of the other deals have been larger. But as we saw in one of the deals in a Fort Wayne company, uh, BAE actually started cutting some jobs after it got the incentives to uh, 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 keep the jobs here. So I think what you're going to see is a new era in economic development, and it's probably due. Because if we don't, we will end up with that stadium scenario where a company that you know isn't happy with things or wants to raise its bottom line or do something will just say, we're going to leave. And it'll be sort of like when a football team decides it wants to leave. Um, and what are you going to do for us? Um, and I think there's one other thing that needs to be considered in all of this, including to all the, the re regulations and the, and the tax code, and that is the compensation and the way it is often built for executives of these companies. Right. These companies uh, reward their executives um, for bottom-line decisions, but they do it in a way that, that it really emphasizes the bottom line. Their compensation is often in the form of stock. And so until we've changed uh, or changed the culture or disincentivize that and, and you know, make it more of a dollar-for-dollar -dollar cost 
Um, you're going to continue to see uh, executives who make these decisions because that's how they get paid. And I think some of the changes at the, at the federal level have to reflect what we've done here in Indiana. We do have the incentive programs, and we do provide a carrot for some of these companies that want to relocate or invest or grow jobs here. But mostly we've created a stable environment. The, the, the environment at the national level through the federal government has not been stable for eight years. Companies don't know what their tax climate is going to be. They don't know what their health care obligations are going to be. That part has to get fixed. Yeah, and it will but, be, I think, under President yeah, Trump. Well, you may have stability here, but you also have a, a, an, uh, an average wage that's below the national average and continues to sink. So stability at a low level is not yeah, that, anything that's we why should was, That was important. I think the carrier and on top of that, the other, the other part of that that John's talking about is correct. But the way you fix that is through the tax code. The average CEO used to make 40 times what the hourly wages of his employees are. Now it's 355 mm. times. Yeah. There's right. something wrong with that picture. It's not just compensation. I think I think you're exactly right. That needs to be fixed. But keep in mind the, the liability. They have a fiduciary responsibility to produce the return for shareholders. And if there are share, you know, for publicly That's traded true. companies, you're going to see litigation out the wazoo. The bet, this will be a job creation for attorneys because we'll see shareholder groups saying, Hey, I could have. You're costing me uh, sixty-five million dollars. Well, all right, all right. That can be moving, fixed legislatively too. Moving on. After months of work, a 23-member panel reviewing the state's I-Step test delivered its recommendations to the legislature this week. The most notable changes from the current assessment system include administering a, tens, a test once a year rather than twice, putting that testing window at the end of the school year in May, and then proposing that other Indiana teachers grade the assessment rather than the testing company. The panel's recommendations also say to make the test shorter with a quicker turnaround for results, but it doesn't suggest how to make that happen. The recommendations have been criticized for not being specific enough or different enough from the current I-STEP. Mike O'Brien, should Hoosiers expect significant changes to the state assessment system? I think they should. Um, I, I don't think anybody who was paying attention to this expected uh, this, this panel to come out with like very detailed steps that schools would have to take or that testing companies would have to take to go implement this. They, needed, they, they had pillars that they needed to hit, reduce the number of tests, move it to the end of the year. You know, hit those, hit those uh, big benchmarks with were the primary complaints that people had about the current system. Make sure the testing is done locally and it's done accurately uh, so people can trust it. But the second, re this, the second reason, uh, voters took care of on November 8th. They got rid of Glenda Ritz. We took this test in this state for 20 years, and it wasn't until 2013 or 2014 that we had significant oh, issues with it that needed to be addressed by this panel. Come wasn't on. that, though, uh, that, yeah. as much a result of, of legislative right. changes as exactly it was, what it was the result of it? Had nothing the, to do the with the Department of Education Ritz. administers this test and works yeah. with local nice, school nice districts, try, and local nice school districts and local school districts could not work with that with Glenda yeah. Ritz's nice, Department nice of Education. Try. That problem the problem, fixed. the problem with this is we should scrap the I step. I mean, the whole reason for the I-STEP is ludicrous. We don't even consult with our flagship institutions of higher education about what they look for when they admit students. And there are tests on the shelf that we could take off the shelf. There's nothing unique about Indiana math or Indiana English or Indiana history that requires a special test. It's all based on ideology. We've wasted time, money, effort, and I don't know how much angst over this nonsense. Scrap it and get but one off the shelf. But none of those off-the-shelf tests adhere to statute as it's currently written. There the would statute have to be, as it's currently would written have to be ought to revised. be repealed, too. So, John Katzenberger, Mike O'Brien talked about the panel hitting those benchmarks that we all knew that they had to uh, hit. 
if we all knew they had to hit them, the legislature's going to have to do this anyway, <laughs> what was point? the point of the panel? Uh, well, I think the point is, is, is it, yeah, the legislature <laughs> wants to have some cover here in all of this, too. Um, but, yeah, it's ultimately going to be up to the legislature, and hopefully they will get it right. I think one other thing that they need to look at is the high-stakes nature of the test that's currently composed. Um, so much of, of the testing uh, affects the funding formula and also can affect teacher uh, pay. And so I think um, we've got to reduce the stakes for that, too. I think that you need to hold people accountable, certainly the students and certainly the teachers and the districts, but you need to do it in a way that's, that's not causing a part of the problem and making it such a, um, an angst-ridden process that Ann described. John, the, uh, whether or not Glenda Ritz was responsible for the problems with the I-STEP te- test, is the fact that it's now a Republican in that position going to make this whole process of, of picking a new test a lot easier? I think it will. There will be a, an added pressure on Republicans since they have supermajorities in the House and Senate and, and the governor's office and the, the uh, Department of Education control. If they can't get it, then it's embarrassing. I think then it's then it's. Uh, it, well, sure, it, I, it's think, I think they should go so back I think it's, to their original idea, and they should appoint the superintendent of public instruction now, and, and the may, attorney general too, for that matter. To me, I think if you look at if you want proof that history is indeed a pendulum swinging back and forth, that's what this is. I mean, we went, and I'm talking about decades at a time. Yeah. We need more accountability. Some school districts don't live but meet the standards, so we're going to have accountability, and then pendulum goes there, and then we say, oh, wait, you've taken, you've taken control away from local school boards and local superintendents, and now we're teaching the test, so it's coming back, and it, I'm guessing at some point, guess what? It'll probably swing back the other direction. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, what will Indiana's new student assessment look like? A, a shorter test with quicker results, B, a longer test with slower results, or C, I-STEP with a different name. Last week's question, will Mike Pence succeed Donald Trump as president? 30% say before 2020, 15% say after 2020, and 57% say it's not going to happen. If you would like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org IWIR and look for the poll. A co-chair of Indiana's Roads Task Force says the state should consider tolling to generate revenue for its roads and bridges. At its second-to-last meeting, the task force debated the idea of tolling the interstate system in Indiana as a way to help address funding in the future. The funding discussion up to now had mostly revolved around fuel taxes, alternative fuel vehicle levies, and fees based on the number of miles someone drives. But Senate Appropriations Committee Chair Luke Kenley says tolling is a realistic possibility. The longer we talk about this, the more we think about the fact that the user needs to pay. Certainly tolling would be the only way that you'll uh, get any revenue out of somebody who's from out of state who didn't stop to buy gas. John Ketzerberger, is Luke Kenley right? Is it time for Indiana to really embrace tolling? Well, it has started to because the new bridges over the Ohio River in Louisville, between Louisville and, and southern Indiana, are toll bridges. Uh, I think that uh, it's certainly a source of revenue, and there's a lot of feeling that people who use the roads should pay for the roads. In the past, a lot of uh, traffic that's attributable to uh, interstate commerce, like uh, truck traffic, has been captured through gasoline taxes apportioned around the states. Uh, But I think the legislature is worried that it won't be able to raise enough money, even if it raises the uh, 
fuel taxes and uh, it starts a bit of a tax to capture you know hybrids and other vehicles that are, not, are more fuel efficient uh, and indexes is that they won't be able to raise enough money to do all of the projects that they want to do. So I think they see this as a viable source of additional uh, revenue for um, doing roads in the state. Um, I think it's not going to be very popular. So I think they're floating this idea to see um, what the response will be. I mean, we had, I mean, we couldn't even get a, a gas tax increase last session when we were talking about road funding. Is, is something like tolling going to get through the legislature? Well, to John's point, I think it, it's a big number to hit. And so you can't just pick one of those things off the menu and get to the number you need every year to have a sustainable roads plan. So um, I think you need an all-in approach. I think, uh, now the House did pass a, a comprehensive funding uh, solution last year, and the Senate um, opted to move that discussion to the budget session, which is probably appropriate. Uh, but they did pass a large, you know, large investment uh, last year. They also passed wheel tax authority. I mean, wheel taxes are going up in, in communities around the state. And there's not a lot of blowback for that. We did it in Hendricks County, and no one noticed it. But they did notice that their county roads were getting paved, uh, and that's been very popular. So, you know, I, uh, there's a fundamental just, you know, you have an obligation to go pay for the things that you want. You know, we can't be a zero tax rate, you know, and expect to get new bridges over the Ohio River and get, you know, the new highways and the things that we've, we've uh, built uh, through major moves. Now we're at the end of that program. We need, a, we need another fix, and we need a long-term fix, and it's got to be comprehensive. Are Hoosiers going to be okay with seeing those, those tolling signs over I-70, I-65? I, so. uh, I, I think Hoosiers are going to say they already paid for these roads. Why are they paying for them a second time? If we're talking about adding lanes that, you know, you have uh, limited access to and you pay for that access for the interstates, that may make sense for a lot of commuters. Or if you have them at the borders so that you're capturing, I think we have more truck, truck traffic in this state than any other state in the yeah. union, and you're capturing that, I think that makes sense. But I think Hoosiers are going to rebel against paying for roads they've already paid for once. Everybody on this task force talks about education. Is that maybe the biggest key, just, just letting Hoosiers know this is the way we've got to go? I think that's part of it, certainly, why you see some quote-unquote unpopular bills or, or measures that take several years to implement. But there is a, legitimately a lot to study here. You know, if you start imposing tolls on I-69 and I-70 and people start using, you know, ancillary roads and so forth, then do you create new and unexpected consequences where you're having to replace the wear and tear that is unprecedented on those roadways and those bridges? So there's a lot to look at. You know, the, politically, this isn't, I mean, the House, House Republicans passed tax increases yeah. in an election year, and they and nobody paid the price for it. I mean, it barely well, even they weren't enacted, it. though. No, but, I mean... It, well, that's vote, why they didn't pay the, the, the price. In the past, saying gas tax I, I think the gas paid. tax is easier, frankly, to pass than the tolls, because I think the tolls are I more of a hassle. I'll agree with that. The Federal Bureau of Indian Affairs this week gave final approval to a tribal casino in South Bend. The Pokagon Band of Potawatomi Indians plans to use its newly restored homeland for a tribal housing and co government complex and a $400 million hotel and casino. South Bend will get money from the casino, and local leaders there praise the federal approval. But other Indiana casinos have said for years that a tribal casino in South Bend would be disastrous for their bottom lines, which includes quite a bit of money going to the state in taxes. John Schwanis, is Indiana's gaming industry going to be turned on its head by this? Uh, in some ways, certainly the, those that are in the northern part of the state now, uh, the border Lake Michigan, they're the ones who I think clearly would be most affected, uh, more for obvious reasons than you would along the Ohio River. But when you look at uh, the size of this, you mentioned $400 million. I think that the actual floor space of the casino would be 216,000 square feet, which dwarfs uh, the, the, the next biggest, which I think are in Lawrenceburg and Hammond, respectively. So it's big. It would be a draw, uh, and it would 
continue to, to tax an industry that has seen significant competition already. And the other loser, I mean, I guess you could say if you're looking for winners and losers, South Bend wins yeah. be, uh, for, because of its local share. But the state overall, you're looking now at an industry that pays uh, for those licensed by the state, you know, anywhere from 27 to 30 some percent in their in their revenue in taxes. Mm-hmm. The guess is that this might be anywhere from the state share 3 percent to maybe 8 yeah. percent. There's a difference. Yeah. Should we expect uh, the other casinos and other gaming uh, folks in this state to come back to the legislature with a big want list? Yeah, I think we're, we're going to see that. They've been preparing for this and trying to anticipate this, but now that it's a reality and it's only a matter of time until the building is built and the games begin, I think you're going to see the, the gambling industry in Indiana try to respond because they need to be more competitive. Uh, how they decide to do that uh, will be interesting to see. And do you think the legislature is ready for yet another gaming debate? I don't think they can avoid it. I mean, I think the gaming industry is going to bring it up, uh, and some of them may go under. Um, I think that's probably inevitable. This is not a this is not a, a an elastic um, um, industry by any means, and I think they're going to. They're, some of them are going to be hurting, and some of them may go under. We the, a lot of the gaming folks in this state didn't find a favorable governor in Mike Pence. Do you think Eric Holcomb will be more favorable to the gaming discussion? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think uh, Ann brings up a good point. They're going to have to face it, right? So whether, whether you want to talk about it or not, you're going to have to go uh, face the fact that you have competition that's really now kind of playing outside of the rules of the, the other 11 sites, the Racinos. And, um, you know, some of, these de- some of these decisions that have been made over the last co- few years, table games at the, at the tracks in 2020, uh, the admissions tax, how all that, how the, the funding structure of the local agreements and the taxes are, are assessed and how those are all impacted. Um, and, you know, if you want to, if you're going to talk about any of it, you may, you may have to talk about all of it. Because even in its diminished state, you're still talking about $600 million yeah. a year. You can't just kiss that goodbye right. without a That's fight. Right. Right. U.S. Senator Joe Donnelly says he'll oppose Donald Trump's pick for Health and Human Services Secretary. Trump this week announced he'll nominate Georgia Congressman Tom Price for HHS Secretary. Price, an outspoken opponent of the Affordable Care Act, has also been part of the House Republican effort to reform Medicare. Donnelly says Price leading HHS would be a direct path to end Medicare as we know it. This is the first time Donnelly has spoken out against a Trump cabinet pick. And Delaney, will Donnelly's defense of Medicare here help him in his re-election bid oh, in 2018? I, I think it will. I mean, this, this uh, Congressman Price is completely to the right on this issue. He wants to voucherize uh, Medicare. Medicare has been the most successful federal program ever. And everybody who, everybody who is on it thinks highly of it. And here they, you know, we've got something that works. Sure, it has to be tweaked. It has to be tweaked every so often. But the fact of the matter is it's worked and it's extremely popular. And, any, and even Donald Trump has said he won't touch it. So we'll see what happens with this. Joe Donnelly prides himself on being bipartisan. He's talked about trying to work with Donald Trump whenever possible. We'll, but do you expect to see more of these, I'm going to oppose this, I'm going to oppose that, than we've seen in the past? I think we've seen this play. We, we just saw this playbook. It was Evan Bayh against Todd Young. It was Evan Bayh against Young whippersnapper Todd Young is going to take away all your Medicare and your, your Medicaid benefits. Uh, the only way, well, we'll the only way, Medi- the, the only way you end Medicare as we know it is if you don't reform it. It's, it's unsustainable. It's, an un, it's on an unsustainable oh, path. Oh. Well, there's a big difference between reform, yeah. though, and elimination. Yeah. And you know, you know, the degree to which you reform it. Um, I think the the threat that the Congressman Price sees is 
um, the single-payer system. I mean, it's, it's an example of a single-payer insurance system sponsored by the government that has worked uh, to this point. And I think they see that as a threat because, uh, you know, one of the alternatives to the uh, Affordable Care Act is a single-payer system versus the private system. So, you know, a successful example of that, uh, I think, is something that concerns them. Well, again, the suggestion is Donald Trump, as, has, as he pointed out repeatedly during the campaign, entitlements, you don't need to worry. And I presume this right. is considered an entitlement. Well, he, so he, he may be at Medicare odds with, with his own secretary. Mm -hmm. All I heard from Ketzenberger was that Joe Donnelly supports a single-payer single health care system. <laughs> <laughs> the single-payer uh, health care system of Medicare has worked. And, well, you know, there, there is some argument to be made for uh, Obamacare being a single-payer system as well. All right. Finally, Indiana University honored its 1981 National Championship basketball team in its game against UNC this week, a win for the Hoosiers. Former coach Bobby Knight was not in attendance, even though many, including Isaiah Thomas, called for an appearance. Mike O'Brien, will Knight ever return to IU for one of these celebrations? You know, I'm an IU grad. Mm -hmm. I was at IU when he was fired. Um, I was at the game the other night, and I think I've stopped caring about Bob Knight and what he does or doesn't do. Go to the game, don't go to the game, be a grump and wherever you live now or, or come home. Bobby Knight's been in Indiana a lot this year, uh, stumbling for Donald Trump. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you expect him to show up to IU? Do you want him to show up to IU? I don't want him to show up to IU. I mean, I think that, that uh, particularly Fred Glass had made any number of overtures to bring him back in. He wants to be a jerk about it. He is a jerk. Let him stay away. IU won and beat North Carolina without him there. At the end of the day, does it really matter if he comes back? To some people, but I think the point is well taken that with every incoming class of students, it's not that many years, if it hadn't happened already, where some people say... Who's Bobby Knight? Who, yeah. And the next you know, the freshman class in two years won't even... Have, they won't even know who And, and in fact, if Tom Crane can deliver a, a national, national championship, championship well, then, he'll be yesterday's then, it's, yeah. then it's done. Then it's that, that performance the other night by, against North Carolina was the finest performance an IU team has had Fort Wayne. since... Uh, no, well, that was the it. clunker <laughs> since they beat Kentucky a couple of years yes. ago. And I think if they can stay on this path, everyone will forget about Bob Knight because... Mm, Ranked have a, higher this time. Have another Single banner in the, in the rafters. That should count as just losing to yourself. That's a <laughs> well. It's a like it's a we, we, had some, we had some injuries there, and we obviously didn't come ready to play. But that mistake will not be made again this season, I don't think. All right, that's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike O'Brien, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash iwir, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time, because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.